Hello and welcome to part two of the Red Zone Restricted season preview. I'm David Comerford and I'm joined by Dan Club, Chloe Bloxham and Chris Coughlin as we offer our predictions for the upcoming campaign. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So yeah, this is the Liverpool-focused aspect of our season preview, although we'll also be talking about you know how sort of the top six and the relegation battle will pan out and a few of the individual awards too. So stay tuned for that later in the podcast. But we're going to start by recapping the transfer window um, and how sort of content we can be with it as Liverpool fans. And just to sort of go over then to clarify the incomings and outgoings or the main ones that we've seen, obviously Darwin Nunez, the headline in terms of arrivals, um, Fabio Cavallio coming in too, along with Calvin Ramsey. And then outgoings, you've got Mane, um, obviously an Anfield icon departing there, along with some squad players like Neko Williams, Takumi Minamino, Divock Origi, Ben Davis and Reese Williams. So we'll start with you, Chris, because um, this is your kind of first episode since uh, we signed you for our um, team uh, for the upcoming season. So Chris is going to be appearing on the podcast, hopefully quite regularly over the course uh, of the campaign. So pretty simple question, really, Chris. Um, what score are you giving that window that I've just laid out of 10? That's a very good question. If it had been, if a central midfielder had been added, looking at 8, 9, 10, I think... I'm probably just going to edge towards seven. And maybe that seems maybe a little bit harsh, to be honest with you. Um, but you look at Calvin Ramsey, ultimately going to be back up. Look at Fabio Carvalho. I think he's going to be a brilliant player for the present, not not just the future. And Darwin Nunez, he really did really kind of show what he was all about, didn't he? He really showed what he was about in the, um, the community shield. So I think seven... Possibly could be eight if, if, if I'm being honest, but I think I'm going to play it safe with seven just because that centre midfielder wasn't added. And I suppose I'll pose the same question to, to you two as well, Dan and Chloe. We did earlier in the summer a sort of transfer special where we spoke about sort of the players that we'd like Liverpool to bring in. And one of the areas we spoke about was possible central midfield targets. And I think at the time we were under the impression that it was a question not of whether there would be an addition, but who it might be. Um, obviously, that hasn't materialised. That's getting delayed till next summer. So, uh, I'll bring you in on this, Dan. Uh, your score and, obviously, this midfielder debate is kind of well-trodden, uh, I'd say, mm. within Liverpool circles. But do you th- worry that it could potentially cost Liverpool this season? Um it certainly is well trodden. Um, I was almost waiting for Chris to mention it there, not in a negative way. I just feel like it is kind of the elephant in the room when you discuss our transfer window at the moment. It's hard to look beyond it, especially with um, Alex Oxley-Chamberlain picking up his injury. Looks like he's going to be out for a prolonged period of time. That hasn't helped matters, let's say, in that department. Um, I think score-wise, I think I'd probably edge towards a seven as well, as well, the same as Chris. Um, made up to bring Nunes in, obviously, I agree as well. I think Carvalho is going to be sensational. I've got high hopes for Ramsey, even though we haven't seen him yet. Um, and I think we'll deal with the Mane departure quite well. It's obviously a massive loss, but I do back us to deal with that. 
Um, I wanted a centre midfielder prior to the window. That hasn't changed. If anything, that's got slightly stronger um, in the wake of recent events. So I do foresee it being an issue. I do. I don't envisage the sort of problems we had um, a couple of seasons ago when we lost all our central defenders. I don't envisage that kind of catastrophic meltdown. But I do think there'll be part of the season whereby we are maybe turning out players a game beyond their best. In terms of, I think Fabinho's a prime candidate for this. He's one that we really do run into the ground quite a lot. And I think it's evident in some performances here and there. I think City away was one last year whereby you thought he looked like he played too much football over a period of time. And I think we're in danger of doing that again without signing a central midfielder. Um, Jurgen Klopp said earlier in the window that as things stand in terms of the options he had available, he won't be signing one. In my opinion, that's changed now with the Oxley chamberlain injury. So, listen, maybe there will be some business. Um, I'd certainly like to see it. Yeah, um, Oxley chamberlain kind of an important point to mention in a way because it, it's brought everything really into focus a little bit. I don't know. I apologize, apologize if I'm just repeating what you said here, Dan, but also there's a bit of an issue with Curtis Jones as well by the looks of it. So, all of a sudden you find, even before the season started, that you, you're down kind of two-year options there. And, you know, it is sort of adding a bit of fuel to, to the fire, certainly for, for the critics of, of the decision Liverpool have made. And I, I think the interesting thing about it is, you know, you, you single out for being, you know, you know, people sort of maybe think about midfield additions and they're just like, it's Jude Bellingham. When's Jude Bellingham going to arrive, basically? I mean, if he is. And then maybe that's slightly misleading in a way because there's other sort of areas that need to be addressed as well. You know, he would probably be someone, say, in the right centre midfield role within the midfield. But like you could have your Fabinho back up, like you say, you could have, you know, we went for Schwemani at the start of the window. Would have probably been more of a Tiago kind of rotational player. So there was plenty of different profiles you could have targeted. And it, yeah, it's maybe a bit disappointing that we haven't done that just to, you know, because it's one of them. It feels like we're in this position every year, really, where it's like we're on the verge of having a complete squad every single time. And it just needs that kind of almost one more sign. And, and maybe that hasn't happened, but. Chloe, I'm assuming that, you know, obviously you are generally a really optimistic fan that like we've spoke about that um, in a recent episode, but I'm assuming you don't think this midfielder thing is going to necessarily like derail us. Um, and what would your score be? I'd go for a seven and a half and I'd go a bit higher than Newslot just for the fact of getting Fabio Carvalho at seven million. I think he's gone under the radar so much. Um Everyone like seems to just think we've picked up a lad who's all right, but he is absolutely boss. Uh, you, you mentioned the midfield options there. I think you'll see Henderson rotate with Fabinho a lot right in this season. And I think you'll see much more of Harvey Elliott and Carvalho playing in those midfield roles. I, I really wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you 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 breaking down a, a, a team and, and you can't do it. You've got 20 minutes left and you're throwing on Carvalho and Elliot in the midfield and just leaving Fabinho with them um, and just saying have a go, have a go because um, I, I think we, we've watched Carvalho play left wing and Harvey Elliott play right wing throughout a lot of pre-season and kind of forget that they're also midfielders and they're probably very much better at midfield um, than on the wing because of, of the lack of pace and the skills of them Um and this midfield thing, we can we can turn around and say we need another midfielder, but 
we're not just going to go and spend 30 million on someone who's going to do us a job for a year and then get rid of him or have him on the wage budget and, and have to pay him off until he leaves at the end of his contract just because there's been a problem with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain because we know we were after Tushimani, he's gone to Real Madrid. We know he was after Jude Bellingham and Jude Bellingham looks like he's going to be next year. And Jürgen Klopp will not rush anything. He wasn't going to sign Luis Diaz until the end of this season, which probably thinking about it was, you know, his like-for-like replacement for Sadio Mane because he, he knew that Sadio Mane wanted to leave. Um, and he asked him to get another year out of him, and which which Sadio Mane did. Um, and yet someone came in for Diaz and that's when we struck. So... I don't expect us to panic with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain being injured. I think he trusts the squad. If we sign a new midfielder, yeah, boss, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but we're not going to, you know, absolutely... We're just not going to crap ourselves and, and go and spend a, a stupid amount of money or even a little bit of amount of money on a player like Ben Davies, who's never, ever, ever going to see a, his debut in Liverpool and then gets off. Yeah, I think you're right in the sense that we wouldn't necessarily buy stop gaps. Um, and I just want to stay on this midfielder issue a little bit more just because, like I say, it probably stands out as the one area in the squad which might be a weakness. You know, Chris, we think about this in terms of, of depth a lot of the time and players, you know, say Thiago, for example, when he gets injured because he gets injured a fair bit, you know, how much of an issue is that going to cause Henderson gets injuries too is there an argument as well that the midfield needs you know this Fabinho Thiago Henderson midfield um and, and Cater as a rotation option do you think quality wise that's 100% fine or would you like to see kind of a refresh as well in terms of almost personnel to to, to slot into that main midfield because maybe the the where games last season where it felt like Compared to the sort of sides they're competing with Liverpool, if there was one area where they could maybe hurt Liverpool, it did feel like the midfield was a little bit vulnerable in some respects. I think that's a fair comment. Um, I look at Fabinho. I believe that Fabinho is the best holding midfielder in world football. But I think he is arguably, along with Thiago in the midfield, the, the player that there isn't a dedicated backup for. Henderson can absolutely do a job there. Of course, he can do a job as a number six. But if you're looking for dedicated backups that can come in for Fabinho and also not impact the quality of that defensive midfield role, I'm not sure we have someone that does the job he does. I, I remember, you know, well, we all remember his debut away to Arsenal. And I, you know, it was one of them where I watched it and thought, there's a bit of work to do here. And then I think he was out of the team for a few games and he came back and he was almost the finished article straight away um, after that Arsenal debut. And he's almost that good now that you wonder about the quality underneath. Just because if, if you're a very good player, you want to be playing football. It's a bit, diff- it's a bit different, say, with Manchester City then going inside and Calvin Phillips. And I know I've mentioned that recently, but they now have two top quality defensive midfielders, one of which knows he's not going to play because Rodri is that good. And it's a different kind of situation for Liverpool in that they don't have someone who's a dedicated defensive midfielder in that number six role to go, 
in when Fabinho needs a rest or whatever, because you look at this run coming up, I think from September onwards, September, October onwards, it's a league, Champions League, league, Champions League, 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 Champions League, league, Champions League, and, and you get the idea. So there is going to be a mad rush of games, certainly from the October, um, September, October period. And that'll be my main concern, really, in terms of he'll need rest. Everybody will need rest. Even Van Dijk, Salah, they'll need rest, even though they, they don't really want to be. So that would probably be, probably be my one concern because I look at Thiago and as good, as incredible as Thiago is, I feel that an Elliot or a Carvalho could slot in to that role. Fabinho is the one that I'm looking at and thinking in terms of a, a backup, a little bit thin on the ground there. I remember some comments Klopp made actually about this um, and I think there might have been referenced already and he sort of goes through and he says we've got the type of profile that we need and we've got backups for each one and he said and he was going through and he, he was like almost like praising every single player and, and how well they can carry out a role and then he said Henderson and Milner are fine as number six backups and, and that really was what stood out to me it's like they're fine whereas you look at City for example they've got Calvin Phillips he's, he's more than fine as a as a sort of deputy holder midfielder really um but just to stay on this again a little bit longer, um, I'll come back to you, Dan. This policy that Liverpool have adopted probably depends a fair bit on, or the success of it will depend on how much of a step up we see Elliot and Jones make. Mm-hmm. Um, so how much sort of faith do you have in those two? And I suppose the particularly interesting one is Curtis Jones. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've got, other players in that midfield who maybe are inconsistent in terms of performances, but he's young. So the question mark with him is like, is that just going to be a feature of his career or is it something that he irons out as he gets a bit older? You'd imagine he would iron it out. Um, it's definitely been something that's been flagged up on numerous occasions and, and has been there for all to see, to be honest. He is capable of moments of brilliance, but he's also capable of really quite frustrating performances. Um, and I think that's been a bit of a, bit of a hallmark of his young career um, to date. But similar to what Chloe said earlier, and she was bob on really, I I have every faith in um, Elliot Jones and Carvalho to be able to step into the midfield role when asked. Um, I do think Carvalho is more advanced than that, but I agree with Chloe in terms of Elliot's pace probably stops him being a winger. And I do think similar similar to what we see in last season at the start before his injury, I think Harvey Elliott will play a big role in the midfield. and moreover, I have you asked Chris about it in terms of whether it be quality that's the issue or almost like a numbers game. I have no doubt about any of the quality across the midfield department. For me, it does genuinely boil down to a bit of a numbers game, which I know sounds silly, but when you break down each of our options and their availability really over the course of their recent Liverpool careers, like you know, make no bones about it. Naby Keita's availability was much improved last season. But, you know, can anyone really say here that we're going into the season full of confidence that he's going to be able to play 45-plus games? I don't think we can. I certainly couldn't. And that's where I start to not panic, not get overly concerned, but just wonder whether we might be leaving ourselves slightly short. Um, But in terms of the youngsters, yeah, I mean, Harvey Elliott was an absolute revelation the start of last season. Curtis Jones, 100% needs to improve his um, consistency and what he does on a week-to-week basis when he gets the opportunity. 
he might have been usurped by Carvalho already. That that is potentially a thing. It might seem harsh because he's a lad that's been at the club for a long time, and I think he's played over seventy first team games now, which seems ridiculous. He should be more consistent than he is. But they could all step in and do a job. They they all can. Um, but right now, I'd have more faith in Harvey Elliott doing it than all three of them, to be honest. Yeah, I think with Elliott, he is slightly different to, to Jones in that I think Jones can go on to be a very good player. I think Elliott can go on to be a world-class one, is, is what I would sort of say in terms of dividing those two up. But I think that's probably the, the midfielder side uh, covered. One other interesting element this season, and it's not something that just applies to, to Liverpool, um, also to, to their rivals too, is the fact that we've got a World Cup um, sitting in November and December. And um, obviously that that's probably something we should address because it, it is so unique. So, uh, Chloe, I'll ask you about that. And, and Dan and Chris, if you've got any thoughts, feel free to, to, to just chime in at any point. But how do you see that affecting not only Liverpool, but also their their rivals, Chloe? Is it something that you're kind of worried about or is it one of them where it's like it's the same for everyone? So it maybe isn't something that will make as much of a difference as it's being made out? Um, I, th- I think, well, it's the same as everyone, but I think it actually might benefit Liverpool, uh, which is the opposite of what everyone else is thinking, I'm guessing, <laughs> by the question. I don't see many of Liverpool's team going abroad. On, I mean, Jordan Henderson, even if he does go, I don't see him getting an England start in 11. Um, and I think he'll be used as a squad player. I think, uh, obviously, Robertson's not going, Salah's not going. There are these big players here who not just get a pre-season and a, f- a full break before pre-season and then pre-season. They can also, in, in December, say to the lads, all right, lads, go and have a two-week holiday. When we come back, we'll go and do a camp somewhere around the world in the hot, in the heat or whatever, and then we'll be prepared to, to come back and, and play and go again. I think Liverpool can use it as another pre-season, a mid-pre-season, if you like, and I think that could help us. Um it's not going to help us with the fact that we've got a load of games crammed before and, and we'll have loads crammed after. That, that That's not great. But hopefully, if a lot of players don't go to the World Cup, um, then that, that might benefit Liverpool. There's these players who literally, like Yamo Salas, who played 60-something games last season, and you could see there was kind of a, a, a fall-off in Salah. Um, he was brilliant, the best player in the world at the start of, of the season for the majority of the, the first half. And then the second half kind of, you know, petered out a little bit. He was still boss, but he wasn't like he was in that first part of the season. And I think if he gets a full-on break and then another little pre-season, you might see the peak of Salah both first half of the season and second half, which is an extremely scary thought for any other opposition to have to think about. Um, so hopefully that'll benefit benefit us in some way. Um, it also might help with the likes of it. You don't know where Jota or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's going to be, but Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is going to be out for two to three months. By the time he comes back, we're going to want to monitor him and put him in you know, carefully, we don't want to just lob him back in games. Not that he would be because he's not a, an out-and-out starter. Um, but I think that also gives you time to to help him and Jota ease them in and then know that you've got another mid-season where you can make sure they're back to full fitness and that they don't get these reoccurring injuries again. So I'm hoping that less of our players than 
other teams uh, are, are going to be playing for the World Cup. That that's what I'm hoping, and I'm hoping that means that it benefits us. Yeah, and I think in addition to Salah as well, I, I don't think Colombia qualify for the World Cup, so to have Diaz staying back as well will be a huge benefit to us. I think you're absolutely right about Mo. I think the fact that he's going to have that break, the contrast between this and last season is huge. And, you know, we could see him hopefully even outstrip his numbers from, from last season on that basis. You can already see, I think, the benefits of the break that he's had um, this year to a degree. Um, on the World Cup, Chris, just to kind of wrap this up, and again, Dan, you can come in whenever on it if if you have any sort of strong views, but obviously we can think about it in terms of player fatigue and who's going and and who's not. But there's also another side of it, which is it's gonna be it's gonna be strange because we're gonna have basically a month just sort of stoppage in the season. If Liverpool are on, say they're on a run when they they've won about seven or eight games in a row just before it stops. Are you going to be thinking to yourself, oh, this is this is such a pain. This is the worst possible time and to have this huge break now. And, and it could be a bit of a momentum killer. And obviously the flip side of that is if you're having a tricky run, it might be a break that you sort of yearn and for. So how does it kind of alter the dynamics between those top teams, you think? It's very interesting because so by the 12th of November, so that, that's the last um, round of Premier League games before the World Cup. So that, that's game week 16 including midweeks. So that's 16 Premier League games by the 12th of November. Factor in the six Champions League games as well, and the EFL Cup. Uh, I think there'll be one EFL Cup round that Liverpool will be involved in before the World Cup as well. Um, I just think uh, fatigue... That I do think Salah probably was a bit fatigued last year just because of how much he played as well because Egypt went 120 minutes in every single... Uh, knockout game, didn't they, as well? Um, so, less and less a thing, I think, with players nowadays, just because the fitness levels are so high. But this is what I mean about the midfield and, and players needing rest, even when they wouldn't normally want the rest, likes of Van Dyke, the likes of Seller, the likes of Fabinho. Um, so, I'm not sure what my main concern would be, to be honest with you. My main concern would probably be just uh, it feeling weird there'd be a World Cup final three days before my birthday. <laughs> Um, I'd say that that's probably the strangest thing. But you know, if Liverpool, if anything, it might you know, it might give more of an impetus to get on a run before the start of the World Cup. Because if you want to go, you want to go into the World Cup on the best possible form, and it might just be seen as a restart. To be honest with you, because effectively there'd be no form to base it off when you haven't played as a team for a month and a half. Um, so I think there'll just be an impetus to go into the World Cup the best possible position and then try and carry it on afterwards. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, a couple of other elements as well on top of what's been said. You've got, you know, you alluded to it, Chris, in terms of the fixture congestion is going to be off the charts. Again, that makes squads probably more important than ever because everything's been compressed. That's why, you know, ordinarily the season wouldn't be starting until, you know, another sort of nine, ten days from now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, obviously has to be brought forward this year. And also you have, I think people have suggested, how it's going to affect players' sort of mentality in a way. Um, say people thought that maybe Salah, for example, was hurting last season because of what happened with Egypt. Did that affect his form? And also ahead of the tournament too, are players going to be maybe trying to protect themselves if they're valuable players for their nation, yeah, things that. like that. So 
there's so many different uh, things that we could talk about, and I'm sure near the time we'll do, um, a, you know, a sort of a full length podcast on that. But let's move into sort of the crux of the episode, which is going to be our predictions. Uh, and we'll start with the top six. And I'm going to assume, and I've not seen any of your predictions, but I'm pretty confident this is a safe bet that you've all got, um, just shout up if you haven't, but you've all got Man City and Liverpool in some order as your top two. So I think what we'll do first of all, uh, in the interests of dramatic tension, is uh, we'll have your sort of three to six. Um, so Dan, can you uh, give me your three to six and kind of explain why you put them in that order? Yes, I can indeed. Um, I have got, I'll go um, highest to lowest. I think that's the right way of saying it. Um, certainly numerically, that's the right way of saying it. I'll go, um, I've got Arsenal um, to finish sixth. Um, and then I've got Manchester United. Oh, Arsenal, um, just on them. I think they've improved dramatically, obviously, in the transfer window. I think they've had a really good transfer window, actually. Um I just don't know if that'll translate into a much improved season. I think they needed to make changes and they needed to add better quality to the squad. And I do believe they've done that. I'm just not sure with everyone else kind of moving around and like we've probably gone, we've probably got better. Spurs have certainly got better and I'll come on to them in a minute. Um, I'm just not sure it'll be enough to really mount a challenge at the top four. And I've got them finishing just sixth in the end. Um, I've got Manchester United in fifth, which might surprise a few. I think I like Eric Ten Hag. I don't want to, but I am a fan of his. I am an admirer of his. And I think he'll get them facing in the right direction by hook or by crook. At the minute, it's a bit of a shambles there, quite frankly, in terms of the transfers and the whole Frankie de Jong thing and the Cristiano Ronaldo thing is really not pretty. And that's great to see. Like, make no bones about it. I absolutely love what's going on there at the moment. I just think. They've obviously got a very talented squad. Like we speak about it a lot on here, especially when it comes up to Liverpool United games. Like they didn't pose a threat last season, but I think there's many reasons behind that. Sort of man for man, there's good players in that squad still. And I think if Ten Hag can do the job, I think he can. He can get them going in the right direction. Like I say, I don't expect them to challenge the top four. I actually think the top four could be quite far and away this season. Um, but I think United might just get fifth. Um, I've got Chelsea to finish fourth. I think they're in a weird state of flux as well at the moment, to be honest. I think the whole end of season they had, which wasn't pretty on the pitch or off it, has kind of left them in a weird place. Um, they obviously signed Koulibaly and Sterling, which are very good signings, but they've lost Lukaku. They might lose Timo Werner as well soon. Weird one, weird one, Chelsea. But again, I think Thomas Tuchel's a brilliant manager. I think he's probably the third best manager in the Premier League right now. So I'd kind of back him to get that right as well. So I've got them finishing fourth. And then third, um, Spurs, predictably, I think. Got to be impressed by the job Antonio Conte's done since he got there. Um, and I think they've had a brilliant summer. There's an argument to say they've had the best summer in the Premier League so far, quite frankly. Um, I think them or Arsenal have probably done the best business. But when you look at the managers of the two respective clubs, Conte's a genius compared to Mikel Arteta. So, I just think they'll be... I don't think they'll be near us or City. I don't envisage that. I think we've set such high levels of consistency between us over the last few years. I think it's very difficult to emulate. But I do think Spurs will have a much better season. And they might even do something special in one of the Cups. 
Um, but in terms of the Premier League, I think third place could be theirs. And if I understood you right there, Dan, you said it was a surprise for United to be as high as fifth place. That's right, um, yeah. Which, which says an awful lot. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what we like to hear. Um, <laughs> but, Chloe, um, what about you? What's your sort of third to sixth? Sixth place for me is a top of well, a toss up between United and West Ham. Um, I genuinely think West Ham can finish above United this season, one hundred percent. But because it's Man United um, and it, that stature of the club, I'm going to put them sixth. Um, fifth for me is Arsenal. I think they'll challenge for top four. I think the signings are really, really good. I think Arteta's got a... He knows the style he's going for. I thought they played fairly well last season in certain games especially. They made it difficult against Liverpool at home in, in that obvious... I think it was the... Was it the uh, the League Cup semi-final, I want to say it was? Um, and I, I think I think they're a decent team. And I think he's got a style that he likes now and he's, he's, the, the players are adapting to it. Um, I just think... Maybe going up against Chelsea and, and Tottenham to battle in in that uh, top four thing race might be a bit too much for them. I think the thing with Arsenal is they can crack and they can under pressure they can just fall away. Um, but I've I've gone for them fifth, uh, fourth. I've put Chelsea, which to be fair, I um. I, I could have swapped them around. I could have put Arsenal fourth and Chelsea missing out. Uh, that, that It was that simple. I think it, it's absolutely bananas to me that Thomas Tuchel, the entire pre-season, has just been slating his entire football club. I've, I've got no idea what's going on over there. He's had a go at the, the owners about saying they're not doing enough. He's talked about his players not giving 100% attitude. Um, so I, I, it feels like it's a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. But if he does get it correct, he's got really world-class footballers there with the addition of Sterling as well. Um, I, I think they'll they'll just keep hold of fourth. And Spurs, I think Spurs is the the. I mean, the the game I'm looking towards in the season where I know we're going to struggle. I'm going to go with Spurs more than City. I know we can beat City. We've we've seen it in the Community Shield, and I know that's a team that it's the Community Shield maybe. You know, but I know that we've got City's numbers at times. They're a very attacking team, so there's always going to be space for Liverpool on the counter. I know that. Spurs, we struggled to break them down, and Conte has now got the players he likes, the players he wants, the style he's playing, and he's a top world manager. He's not there to rebuild there for four to five seasons. He's there to get the, t- the players that he wants, win an FA Cup or a League Cup, and then get off. That's what he'll do. He'll come in, he'll get Champions League football or something, and then he'll go. Um, he's he's not a long term manager, and I think he his elite manage, managerial technique with the players that he actually wants and really good players at that. I think Spurs is is a game where I worry about Liverpool dropping points again. So um, for me, that that's that's my six to three. Yeah, I think um, there's so many different elements that kind of come into it in pre-season and I think definitely um, the strength of, of the coaches is is a huge factor and, and I'll come on to mine in a second but your turn first of all Chris In sixth I've got Manchester United have the signings they've made proved them in terms of a top four team for me not sure I think also signing um, Martinez 
I just think it'd be interesting to see how a five foot nine centre back does in the Premier League, really, just given the physicality of it all. But he has a really good record in the Ajax. Um, fifth Arsenal, and again, like Chloe, I could easily flip Arsenal and Chelsea here. I've been really, really impressed by Arsenal's business. I think it'd be very, very, very close between them and Chelsea. Because with Chelsea now, they're sign- well, they're signing Kukadea and they're looking at Cal Walker-Peters as well. So that's even more competition for the wing-backs. It'd be so interesting to see how they all how they all blend in for Chelsea. And Tottenham third. Extremely comfortable with my prediction that it will be a top three of um, Tottenham, Liverpool, Manchester City. Um, I think Conte... Similar to what Chloe said, it's Conte's way or no way. And I think that's something that Daniel Levy just accepted in the end in order to get Tottenham to that next level in such a short sphere, in such a short period of time. Uh, and I think I just see Tottenham and I'm very, very impressed with what they can do this season. Similarly, again, the game, the game at Anfield, I remember being there and thinking, if Tottenham score, we've got a problem here. And so it proved. But that's the level that I think Conte has taken Tottenham to. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they kind of stand out like stylistically uh, within that top six. I'm not saying that, you know, he's like a dinosaur or anything like that, but he does certainly, I think, maybe have a more measured approach or more conservative approach in some respects. I'll just quickly run through mine and then we'll move on to the top two. So I've got the same um, as Chloe and Chris. I've got United sixth. Eric Ten Hag is an unknown quantity for me still. Um, haven't just managed Ajax. Um, he could be a very good manager, but he needs the other pieces in place. The fact that they've been chasing De Jong the whole summer, um, despite this sort of completing us a mess, um, that that's kind of engulfed the transfer. It's bizarre to me. I think they should have gone for if the recruitment operation was any good, they would have had a defensive midfielder in the door within the first week of the window. That's been the glaring need in the squad. The priorities that he's had have confused me um, in terms of the order and the kind of profile of, of players that are coming in. To be completely honest. Um, and obviously you've got this Ronaldo situation. The fact that they're trying to hold on to what could be an extremely toxic influence in the dressing room, again, is not just not something that an elite club should do, in my opinion. So I've got them uh, in sixth, to be honest. Uh, fifth, I have Arsenal. Very similar reasons to what you've said. I think the business it has been really good uh, at one time in particular, which I'll probably mention again later on. Um, but it's like... Mikel Arteta, Jory's still out on him for me. Really impressive for most of the last season, but they blew it, effectively. They blew it in the last month of the season and, and, and questions have to be asked. Um, so I think it'll be close. Uh, I think that they've got a decent chance of pushing, but I don't think they'll get fourth. And I've got Chelsea fourth, obviously. Uh, I think maybe it'll be one of them where we look back and think the kind of pre-season sort of narrative around the club was a little bit overblown. The, the amount of quality that they've got. Um, is still very high, um, and players like Koulibaly, Sterling, um, you know, they're well class, really. So they can walk straight into the side and deliver, I'd say. And uh, yeah, obviously Thomas Tuchel, uh, a top coach, and probably around the same level as Conte. And I've got Tottenham in third. Um, the business has been really impressive, I think, for the most part. Not entirely, um, but but mostly very good. I think he's now built a squad that's. Maybe not quite dark horse level in the title race, but one that can sort of push on, I'd say, towards 80 points. Um, but yeah, let's do the top two then. Uh, the main events really will come back to you, Dan. Uh, so can I have your top two and also why you think they're going to finish in that order, please? 
Um, well, you won't be surprised to hear that I've got Liverpool winning the league um, and Manchester City coming second in the league. Um, they really are so difficult to call, um, unfortunately, isn't it? Um, I do believe we're going to have another genuine title race, um, nip and tuck type one. Um, unfortunately, for all of our blood pressures, um, I don't foresee us running away with it or necessarily them. Um, it's a really, it's a more interesting one than previous seasons, actually. This because, like, we've kind of known what we're going to expect from both sides for a few years now. Like, we've been well versed on the football we both play, and it's all been very similar, high quality but very similar. Whereas this summer, I think we've both had such a sea change in terms of Nunes and Haaland signings. I think it is going to be about who adapts quickest to their new style in inverted commas. I don't think it's a huge change, but if we're going to be Nunes through the middle a lot more than we have been previously, then that he is so much different to Roberto Firmino in my eyes. Like it's such a big it's like Diogo Jota was a slight change for us, but Nunes is a different world altogether, I think. He's such a, a direct striker um who won't do a lot of the link up things that I think we've become accustomed to. And City and Haaland, the same could be said. Like they essentially they won the league with a with a winger playing through the middle for the majority of last season. And now they've got this big six foot four unit of a front man to try and hit. It's just going to be a real change for them. Um, but I believe quite clearly that we'll adapt fastest to that. Um, and I think the Jota influence on that might be a big factor. I think the fact we had Jota instead of Firmino for large parts of last year will actually help us adapt to Nunes quicker. Um and the, the Community Shield, you can't really look a great amount into it, but if you were to take anything from that, we did look far more prepared for the start of this season. And I wonder whether City, they've done it in the past, they've made slow starts to campaigns. Um, and I wonder whether they might be in line for something else. And then they tend to go on these ridiculous runs, sort of November onwards. But obviously that won't be happening this time because of the World Cup. So that might play in our favour. I agree with everything Chloe said before about the World Cup actually benefiting us. I think giving the likes of Salah a rest mid-season could be massive. So, yeah, I'm always positive, as you know, Dave. But I think this time around, um, and we can't keep going toe-to-toe with City and just losing out, surely. We have to come out on top of one of these at some point. Um, I know we ran away with it a few seasons ago, but I actually back us to come out on top of a, a real dogfight with them this time around. I, what I like about that is it's sort of all very rational stuff about sort of who's going to adapt best to the style of it. And I think the, the Jota point in terms of the similarity is a very good one. And then at the end, you were just sort of like, I mean, surely it can't be it can't be a one-point margin again, um, to be fair. And and I guess statistically, the odds of that happening again are incredibly low, but maybe it's one of those things, but it would only happen to Liverpool. Um, Chloe... I, I almost feel like I don't need to ask um, what what order you've put the two teams in, but um, what's your kind of main reason and behind having and inevitably having Liverpool winning the league? Um, because I'm a Liverpool fan would be the first reason. Uh, there's no point in me be- not believing in the squad that they can get first. Um, but also the the logical side of me, I think right now we're more settled than Manchester City. We got our transfer business done at the very beginning. We've had time for our players like Nunes and everyone to come in and settle. Over, you know, in Manchester, they're still looking for a left back. They tried to get Cucurella. He's now paying off to, to Chelsea. Um, they've sold 
Raheem Sterling, who I think was one of the best players. Um, and yeah, Haaland is going to come in. He's going to hit the ground running and he's going to be boss because it's it's Erlen Haaland. Um, but you've also got rid of Jesus. Um, and I think there's, there's some transfer business over there that they still want to get done that they haven't got done yet. So when they do, or if they do sign more players, um, they're going to have to work them in and, um, I, you know, it's not as easy doing that when you're literally playing two to three times a week. It's not you don't get enough training sessions to have a player come in and literally learn the, the style and the, the type of way you want to play. Where Liverpool have got all their business done and now you know they've put it in practice and training and pre season and now we're ready to go. I just think we're a bit more settled. And City, over the last couple of years, have had slow starts to the league. Um, and they've managed to, to get it back, which fair play to them. And I just think if they are slow this season and they haven't got their players in yet that they want, um, if Liverpool are ruthless enough, and I know City have got enough a good enough squad right now to, to go and um, piss the league anyway, but... You know, I think if, if Liverpool are ruthless enough whilst they're still trying to buy players and get players into the team, if Liverpool are just keep going and one step ahead, um, then hopefully, you know, we'll come out on top. But like I said, it, there's, it's very, very fine margins in this. It could very well be the, the other way around. And, and if it is, then you're, you're just up against an incredible Man City side and there's not really much you can do about that. Um, but th- this this league's going to be lost or won on fine fine margins, um, and you know everyone's got emotionally and mentally be ready to know that if a draw happens, the season isn't over. You just you have to get that out of your mind because even a draw nowadays, you think oh that's the season gone. City are City going to you know win fourteen on the bounce and it's going to be done because they have the ability to do that. Um, but hopefully, you know, City make a mistake somewhere along the line and Liverpool come out on top. Um, but it, it is a case of me being a Liverpool fan and, and hoping that Liverpool finish first, because <laughs> I know it's 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 basically 50-50 on, on who's coming out on top here. And I think you make a really important point there, like something that we kind of have to stress is like the standards look like, for all the well, that they're going to be again, sort of pushing on past that 90-point mark towards, like, the mid-90s in terms of the benchmark you're going to need uh, to win the to win the Premier League. And I I think we all know that, based on what we've seen, it can be extremely confident that if Liverpool avoid any sort of catastrophic injury problems like we saw in the uh, 2021 season, um, then they are going to be there. They're going to be there pushing Man City all the way. Uh, but, Chris, how do you see that battle panning out? I think it's fair to say my opinion has changed over the course of the summer. When Erling Haaland was announced, I saw it very, very difficult. Um, I watched a lot of the Bundesliga, been aware of his talents, but I did think he was the player that would almost be a bit of a was was a missing link for them. But then I look at what Liverpool have done with their business, and in particular Nunez. He's provided a different element to what there was beforehand. Say, if there is a game where where we're struggling to break a team down, as historically has been the case, even I think back to 2008-9, I remember the whole game, the Fulham game, 
um, the Stoke games, the games that Liverpool drew and didn't win the league because of, and that has been the case more often, hasn't it? Because Liverpool very rarely lose games, but it has been the case that they draw too many. And I think Nunez could be the difference in those kind of games. At least just someone took the ball into in the box and him for compete for it, fight for it, and it falls to someone, that kind of thing. And similar to what Dan mentioned, I think, as well, that with Haaland, played with a player like Haaland for God knows how long. I'm not really sure on the pep if they have ever. I know Jesus came in. I know Aguero, of course, has been there, but they've never been set in stone in that team. You would imagine Haaland's going to be set in stone in that team, but how quickly is he going to adapt? It'd be very interesting to see that. Um, and just because Liverpool have provided a different element with the signings that they have done to win the games that they didn't last year and the season and, and in 2018-19, I think Liverpool have now got more different elements to that game or to their game than Manchester City do. And that's why I think Liverpool will have the edge come May. See, that that's really interesting as well. I think everyone's kind of presented like a, a bit of a different angle on it really um i think with harland it's like to what extent do city create less chances because they are less fluid now and is that outweighed by the fact that they will probably score a higher percentage of their chances and be more clinical in front of goal with a player like harland um and that is what it might come down to to be honest i was going to say that i know i know we didn't score in slope but he's still like i think it was a 1.5 xg yeah, I mean, if you can get a one point five against two Liverpool, chances, imagine yeah. what they'll get against Bournemouth at home. Exactly. So that that that's my thinking with it is that like how much? I mean, there is going to be this adaptation process, like I say, but like if if Harland is getting furnished with decent opportunities, I know we didn't take them the other day, but based on everything we've seen so far, you know, he is going to be able to to put those away, um, and it's hard to see how we wouldn't get in those positions. Um, but it's difficult to say how it pans out. You know, there's reasons to believe that this signer might not be the sort of end of end of the world, like it's been painted as um, in some courses. Um, my view on it is that it is incredibly close to call again. If I had to give... Okay, I mean, first of all, I'll say this. I believe that if Liverpool keep Thiago fit for the whole season in the manner that they kept Joel Matip fit for the whole of last season, that they'll win the league because I think Thiago is... He's literally amazing, like absolutely world-class midfield player, one of the very best in the world. Don't think people have kind of maybe appreciated that to the full extent, maybe because he had a slightly tricky first season in some respects. But I think you look at the games last season against Brentford and against Brighton, He and, you know, we've talked about those games where, you know, you kind of slip up and you look back on them and even though their standards are ridiculous and you think, those are the ones that you kind of can't can't afford against Man City. And I think if he's if he, he was out for both of those games, if he plays them both, who knows what happens. So Liverpool have got to have a sort of specialised plan for Thiago, I believe, and, and, and rotate him um, very wisely. And, and if they can have the luck and the planning to keep him fit, then I think it is a potential difference maker. And I think his performance in the Community Shield showed that again. Right now, I'd give Man City the tiniest edge purely because I think they're going to buy a left-back. 
uh, in the remainder of the window. I'm sure it's going to be a very good one given their recruitment hit rate. Um, and that, for me, gives them a squad with no weaknesses. Liverpool's squad, I think, does have a slight weakness in there with what we mentioned at the top about the midfield. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, City slightly edge it for me. But again, a really, really hard one to call out. Like, like I think you were saying there, Chloe, it's one of them where you feel, again, like it could be decided by the finest of margins in either direction. But it's like, it's like I said earlier, I've got complete confidence in Liverpool to be right there until, you know, the the, the latter knock-ins of May, really. Um, but yeah, so those are our predictions, really, for the, the finishing position in the table. Uh, we're going to sort of rattle through some uh, other kind of categories now and then we can revisit these at the end of the season which i'm sure will make for an interesting episode um so what we'll do is we'll start with the individual awards um and i'll name mine first and i'll bring you in dan so what we're going to do is golden boots most assists golden glove and player of the year we'll do in our first sort of group uh golden boots i'm saying most salah it's one of them where it's like there's not too much kind of thinking that goes into it you just want to have a safe bet that you're not going to be embarrassed by um, at the end of the season, most assists, Kevin De Bruyne, um, Trent could definitely be up there. Um, and I think someone else will be as well, but I'm going to save that for my hot take at the end. Um, De Bruyne, basically, just from the point of view that he's got Erling Haaland to aim passes at, um, and he's always up there anyway. Golden Glove, again, probably between Allison and Edison with uh, Larice potentially sneaking in there, potentially um, Mendy too at Chelsea, but. I'll, I'll lean towards Allison again because I'll, I'll go for the Liverpool player in that in that respect when it's quite close. And player of the year, because I think City might nick the league, I'll go with De Bruyne uh, in that. They'll go with maybe the best player in the team that won the league. And I know he's won it twice already, but I don't think players who, who vote for the PFA award are going to be that bothered about handing out repeat trophies as opposed to journalists who maybe would want a little bit more variety in their voting so dan your uh predictions for those four categories please yeah um just to say on the on the previous topic as well man city could well still be rocked by bernardo silva one in house before the end of the summer that would be a real kick in the teeth for them um, there's a lot of talk about him and Barcelona at the moment. I think if that was to sort of materialise into anything, that would be a massive plus for us going into the season. Um, but on these four, um, like you, I've gone Mo Salah, um, the top goal scorer. I think he looks a lot happier um, recently. I think that new contract and the weight of the contract situation being off his shoulders has kind of released him a little bit. He looks a lot freer. I think it'd be really interesting. I mentioned sort of the way we'll react with having Darwin Nunes in the side. It'd be probably more interesting to see how Mohamed Salah acts with Darwin Nunes in the side because he hasn't played with somebody of that ilk for a little while either. I think Edin Dzeko back at Rome was probably the last time he had someone so big and so powerful and so direct alongside him. So that would be an interesting little link-up. But I think ultimately Mohamed Salah will still be our main goal-scoring threat. Um and I think he'll outscore Nunes. I think he'll outscore Haaland. I do foresee Haaland flat-track bullying Bournemouth at home somewhat. But I'm not sure he'll score the weight of goals across the season to beat Mo Salah, um, who's just been so relentlessly consistent for so long now. Um, most assists, I've gone with you. I've gone Kevin De Bruyne. I've got Trent alongside him in second. Um, because I think Trent will get more assists than previous seasons, which is, sounds ridiculous to even imagine. Because of Nunes, I think he'll find him quite a lot. 
um, particularly in the air, which I think is a new threat, like Chris mentioned earlier. But I just think De Bruyne gets a whole variety of assists. I think that's why he's so good. Like Trent, so many of his come from crosses and, and very, you know, pinpoint accurate passing, don't get me wrong. But De Bruyne, because of the position he plays primarily, can just provide so many different types. I think he'll probably edge Trent in that. Golden Glove-wise, it's hard to look past Edison and Allison, obviously. But I've actually gone for a little bit of a curveball on this. I've gone Hugo Lloris. Um, just because I think Spurs, I think their main sort of attribute this season and what will see them be so um, unsettling to the likes of Liverpool and Man City will be just how defensively sound they are. I think Conte obviously prides himself on that. Um, and I think that would be the main reason they do probably finish third. Um, and I think that could just see Hugo Lloris sneak in not by many, maybe by a clean sheet or two um, at most, but I do think he's a shout for that. And player of the year, sort of in contrast to the reasons you said, Dave, I suppose, um, I've gone for the happier, more content Mohamed Salah, because I think Liverpool will win the league and they'll give us the best player. Yeah, and I think he's going to be certainly vying for this third. And I quite like the logic he used as well uh, for the De Bruyne shout in terms of maybe the greater variety available to him. But yeah, Chloe, same uh, four categories from you, please. Um, Golden Boot Salah, uh, for obvious reasons. Most assists, I'm going to go for Trent. Um, I don't think Kevin De Bruyne was as high up the, the assist list last season as everyone's thinking. Uh, I'm pretty sure Salah won it, didn't he, for, for most assists. Um, but I'm going to go with Trent because balls into the box on Darwin Nunes's head. Yeah, I'll have a bit of that, please. Um, Golden Glove, we have the best defence in the league, so Alison Becker, it's that simple. Um, and then Player of the Year, I will either go with Salah or Trent. Okay, well, I'm sure that means at the end of the season, if one of those <laughs> one of those two wins, it is be able to, to claim it. But Trent's an interesting shout, definitely. Um, I think he might have won Young Player oh. of the Year in the past. Also, I'll put in Ida and Lewis Diaz will be high up on the list of most assists as well. That's that's a quite a good shout because he's more of a kind of a traditional winger, I think, to maybe a goal scorer on one. Um, but yeah, Chris, on to you now for yours. Uh, top scorer, Golden Boot. I have Haaland slash Salah, but if you're going to push me, I'll say Salah. Uh, most assists, De Bruyne, I think similar reason to what you said. And also... Some of the crosses the man puts in, he, it's like he shoots sideways and it's just ferocious the, the power he puts on his passes and his crosses. Uh, Allison, Golden Glove, and Salah, Player of the Year, to make up for the fact that he inexplicably didn't win it last year after getting the most goals or joint most goals and most assists. So, I mean, I know that shouldn't play a part this year, but I'm still, you know, I, I just <laughs> think that, you know, as similar to what Dan said, it's off his shoulders. He can be free, and I thought he was excellent in the community shield. I know people don't read too much into it. Involved in all three goals, and I just think he is in the mood and then some. Yeah, and you know you don't want to read too much, obviously, into preseason games, like you say. But he definitely looks just the look of him. I think is a little bit alarming if you're a rival team. So not too much variety in that list, I wouldn't say. But there might be more so in these uh, categories now. So we've got best signing, worst signing. And first manager sacked. Uh, so I'll quickly run through mine again. First of all, I found best signing quite difficult. Um, and I w- it's, it's for me, it's a toss up between Gabriel Jesus and Yves Um 
I think I might lean towards Basuma, and there's two reasons for that. Number one, I've said that Arsenal miss out on top four, so maybe it's like if Jesus doesn't fire them back in there, then it's like how much of a difference has he actually made kind of thing. I do think he's, he's going to be a sort of a dark horse for the Golden Boot race. I think he combines what Arsenal need from their front man in terms of the kind of the package of attributes that he has. Um, and I think it'll be one of them where it's City might actually regret selling him when they see what he can do as the main guy. Basuma is the thing I, the one I'll go for because it's easier for me to play play him off as a sign of the season because his contribution is more intangible. So I'll be able to blag it hopefully um, in May <laughs> that that he's done it. Um, I think he, you know, to get in for twenty five million especially makes that um, a very very good piece of business. And one more name I'll throw into that actually just before I move on, Sven Botman at Newcastle it is definitely a coup, um, and they're probably finished quite high up this season. Worth signing. Um, I'm going to maintain my agenda against Richarlison, which I quite enjoy. Um, I think it's a lot of money to pay for a backup player. Liverpool and Man City, I don't think even pay 60 million for backup players. You know, there may be more sort of 40 million territory. Um, I think I think he's overrated personally. Um, I don't think he d- deserves to go for 50 million when he first moved. I don't think he deserves to go for 60 now. I think he's decent. I think if he wasn't Brazilian, he wouldn't have any unlike. The career that he does to be completely honest um and yeah i just think in terms of the impact that he makes relative to that price tag and the amount of football he plays it's not really going to compare so he was the one that stood out to me first manager sacked um ralph hassenhull i'm gonna go with um because they had a really terrible run towards the end of last season um, and i think they've got a hard start to this season which is going to put him in a precarious position and I actually want to say that I really, really rate him. I think he's a very good manager, but sometimes the circumstances beyond his control that um, would lead to him being sacked. Um, I also think watch out for Frank Lampard and maybe Brendan Rodgers in that conversation as well, because Leicester look like they haven't really strengthened and maybe he'll be the one who carries the can for that. Um, Dan, what about you? What do you think for those three? Yeah, um, interesting. Um, I, I did consider Gabriel Jesus myself, but similar to what you said, I didn't have Arsenal in the top four. I do think he's a smart piece of business from them. I just don't think he'll get the weight of goals that are required to sort of elevate them. Um, so I went with, similar to what Chloe said earlier, um, I went with Fabio Carvalho for us, obviously. Not in terms of the fact that I don't think he's going to start first J Premier League games or if he's going to end with sort of 15, 20 direct goal involvements. But I think for the price we paid, I think he's going to surprise quite a few people. I don't think anyone's really expecting him to have a major influence, but I believe he might. I think we'll see him starting 10 to 15 games, potentially, and having a genuine impact on big matches. So he would be my sign this season, just because when you factor in the price and everything else, and like I say, the fact that he's gone somewhat under the radar, he'd be my pick. Um, Worst sign this season, I've gone for Gianluca Scamacca, um, for West Ham just because West Ham are so cursed with strikers um, for a start and also he had a brilliant season last year in Serie A like an outstanding season but prior to that he hasn't been sort of out of this world he's been okay I know he's only relatively young still I think he's 23 but West Ham finally get the striker they've been waiting for for so long and they finally spend big on one and I think he'd just be somewhat written in the stars that it wouldn't really work Um big lad, can look a little bit cumbersome at times, them sort of players. So 
got a funny feeling that might turn out to be a little bit of a dud um, from them. And I've got no feelings either way if it does or doesn't, to be honest. I'm quite neutral when it comes to West Ham, as long as he doesn't score against us. Um, and first manager sack, this is one I really struggled with, to be honest. Um, found this a difficult call. I agree with you on Lampard, but I've just fell down on Scott Parker. I think the rumblings are already there this week from him. I think he's come out and said he's not happy with the squad. And you can see why, in all fairness. Um, their squad has got worse um, since they got promoted, quite frankly, which is something you can't afford to happen at all. Um, and I think there's a good chance they'll be quite clearly not cut adrift and maybe not quite as bad as Palace were a few years ago under De Boer, but they might get off to an absolute stinker of a start. And he might go quite quickly, I think. Yeah, I think that that's a good shout. I think there's also a possibility that he walks as well and, yes. and kind of yeah. avoids that um, sort of wooden spoon on a technicality. I just think it's interesting with this Gamaka thing. Like my mate actually put him as, as West signing in, in our sort of group chat predictions as well. So that's like maybe a bit of a, a suspicion uh, hmm. going around with him. I just, I just think it's quite funny though how you were sort of like, He's a big lad, young striker, has only kind of done it for one season. I'm thinking, is that, <laughs> sounds, yeah, a little bit like, sounds a little bit like <laughs> Darwin Nunez, but obviously you trust uh, Liverpool. Tattoo laden. Oh, yeah, you yeah, <laughs> trust Liverpool hugely um, in the market, to be fair. Yeah. But um, yeah, Chloe, what do you think for those for those three groups of categories? Best signing, I'd have said Carvalho based on the price that we got him and, and how good he seems to be, but just so it doesn't sound like I'm absolute Liverpool agenda, I'll go with Raheem Sterling for Chelsea. I think that's a really, really good buy for Chelsea. I'm still a bit stunned that Manchester City had sell him to Chelsea out of all teams. Um, but there we are. And and I'd also give a shout out to Aston Villa, who signed Coutinho for 17 million, you know, put put him down um on that one. As for um the worst signings. Pff, the the thing is, I want to say with Charleston for sixty mil, um, because that is a lot of money to play for Richarlison, like a, a ridiculous amount. But I'm also sat here absolutely howling at the fact that Everton have signed Dwight McNeil. It just seems a bit of a mental one. Like, yeah, he was all right for Burnley, but this is the Burnley that literally you only just managed to be ahead of them by how many points? So you, you win a level above them any, by any stretch of the imagination and you bring in a player who's gone down. Um, but for the price that they didn't they didn't pay a lot for him, I'll say Richarlison for, for 60 mil. Um, and if he does well, well, there we go. Uh, first manager sacked. I was going to say Ralph because he struggled last season. But considering you've said it, I'll go with Jesse Marsh. Uh, of Leeds United, I think they've obviously lost Calvin Phillips and Rafinha, um, and yet they've they've bought a handful of players, but they they were really really bad last season. Um, and I know they had a lot of injuries, but he still needs to prove himself. And if he doesn't, and they get in a title race, uh, a relegation battle, sorry, then then a lot of teams panic. And what I would say is, I don't want to say Stephen Gerrard would be first sacked by any stretch of the imagination, but. If by any chance that Aston Villa do as bad as, as they're expected to do well um, and somehow in the first three, four, five weeks get in a bit of a near-the-bottom struggle, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if someone just craps the bed and, and, and gets rid of a manager because we're not going to make it out of this, are we? 
Um, but yeah, that, that's that's my uh, my thoughts on those ones. Yeah, I think I had actually Marsh down as as one of my options because the fact that they have brought in so many new players, and you know, if they get the injuries, you know, with those injured players back in the side and the new players, if he doesn't sort of demonstrate that he can kind of lead the team on a much more consistent run of form than last season, I think he's in trouble too, uh, potentially. Uh, but Chris, what about you? So someone's got to say Gabriel Jesus eventually, haven't they? <laughs> uh, I just think he's he's what Arsenal needed. Um, he's what they were missing last year when you could say what happened with Aubameyang and Lacazette obviously just just wasn't at it before the end of the season. I know I know Enkete did a great job, but I don't think you can trust. I don't think you can trust Enkete over a longer period of time. So I think Jesus, if he's given main role fantastic sign for Arsenal and as I said I could easily flip them and Chelsea in my, in my, in my predictions for top four worst signing it's funny because I have got written down just because of game time I think that's something we've all alluded to it's a lot of money for someone that isn't guaranteed the game time and Dan because like, I had I had Skamaka down here I, I, Dan have you heard the stat about strikers recently no go on there was an article and it said under Golden Sullivan, mm. 50 strikers, 21 of them haven't scored. Oh, God. So that straight away puts pressure yeah. on Skamaka's shoulders, isn't it? Considering that yeah. you know, they've had Antonio for such a long period of time and he's so used to the way they play. And, and he's not even you know, a striker. Well, well, yeah, again, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at Skamaka's stats here now. And I think, so we've got 16 last season for Sassuolo. The next highest he's ever got was nine in Serie B for Ascoli. Tell me that he's a natural goal scorer just based off these stats. If he comes in and smashes it for West Ham, fair play, I'll hold my hands up, but still. Um, there were two others just very quickly that kind of I looked at. If Lewis Sinistera is kind of hampered by hamstring injuries at Leeds, given that he's the man they've really brought in to replace Rafinha, it's not going to look good for that again. Great last year, but prior to that, wasn't exactly a goal-scoring force, certainly based off stats. And one more very quickly to throw out. It's not often you give a free agent worst signing, but Jesse Lingard to Nottingham Forest, on the wages he is rumoured to be on, you best believe there is pressure on his shoulders. I think it's a one-year deal. Maybe it's a bit of a quick gamble from Forest, but that is a lot of of pressure on his shoulders. And as for the first manager sacked, Hassan Hootle, because I think he was hanging by a thread last year. Their signings have not exactly filled me with confidence that they're going to do well. I completely agree on Southampton's business. I, I've looked at it and thought it's a little bit kind of, it's very underwhelming, actually. Um, one thing I forgot to do, actually, before we come on to our very last prediction, um, I accidentally skipped over earlier amidst all the excitement about the title race. Uh, we need to say who we think is going to go down as well. So I'll just quickly say mine, first of all. Southampton, um, for the kind of Hassan Huttle reasons that we've just outlined, and then Fulham and Bournemouth, who, like I think we've already alluded to, there's already complaints from their managers that the squads aren't really good enough, which tends to be a surefire sign that they're going to get relegated. Dan, what are yours? Exactly the same. So don't need to waste a lot of time here. Um, same reasons you've outlined. I think Southampton were struggling anyway, like Chris alluded to. Their window's been pretty abysmal, quite frankly, um, so far. So yeah, them, Fulham and Bournemouth. Chloe? Fulham, Bournemouth, Leeds. 
So you've, have you got Leeds in 20th or is that just in any sort of order? No, any sort of order. I'll put Fulham last. I just can't stand them. They keep coming up and then going straight back down again. Just, just yeah. piss off, please. <laughs> it's them. It's them and Norwich um, more so than anything else. Um, Chris, have you got um, what? What three have you got? And are you thinking it's all about Everson potentially being in there again? I think, given the news about Calvert Lewin, yeah, uh, today, I think that certainly means Everton have to go in for a forward at some point over the next month or so. I think I think they had to anyway. Um, but I think that should heighten it, really, in terms of um, their business over the next month. Uh, I haven't got them in my bottom three. Bournemouth bottom, I feel so harsh putting Forrest 19th. And I know they needed to sign players. But signing so many players has gone so wrong for, for clubs in the past. I hope they stay up. But I've just got not a great feeling about it. And Southampton 18th. Yeah, Forrest, it's like, is it going to be... Because the signings kind of look individually impressive, but like you, like you say, we've seen that before. With I think Fulham have been a big culprit um, of doing that in the past. Um, so yeah, we now are on to the very last uh, predictions category, and this one is a bit more intangible. Um, I've put it down as a hot take um, about Liverpool for the new season. So this I think will be particularly interesting to look back on at the end of the campaign. And all I mean by this is just a bold prediction. Um, ahead of the new season that you think maybe other people wouldn't necessarily say. Um, so mine is that Mohamed Salah will get 20 assists or more in all competitions this season. And the reason I can see Chris's expression as well as I say that, um, the reason I've gone for that is uh, I think he was sort of mid-teens last year at all comps. Um, and I think the fact that he's playing with Nunez and you know having that sort of player to aim at is going to mean... He, sort of pumps those numbers up even further, which is, I mean, it's kind of strange that I've said this considering I went to Bruyne for the, the Playmaker Award, but also it is like all competitions I'm saying here. And the reason I think that class is a hot take is because um, I tweeted this and Andrew Beasley um, quoted it and said, he, he said he, he thought he could see it happening, but apparently only one Liverpool player in the Premier League era has actually managed to do that. And that was Steve McManaman, which would have been around the, the turn of the century. So it would be a pretty, you know, I was going to say unprecedented achievement, but there is only sort of one example um, of someone actually doing that for Liverpool in like in like modern history. So I think Salah can do it because as a source of creator, I think he's, he's very underrated and some of the crosses that he puts in it are very, very good. Um, but I'm intrigued to hear what, what you three have come up with for this. So Dan, I'll come to you first. Yeah, I like yours. Um, if you could see my face, it was very similar to Chris's when you first said it. Um, definitely ambitious, but yeah, achievable at the same time. Um, mine's even less I suppose it's not less tangible than that because there will be a way of working it out I think and people might not think it's that hot a take but I think it will surprise a couple um, I think Harvey Elliott will start more games than Navigator and Jordan Henderson this season um, I suppose the Henderson factor really spices that up a little bit um, I just think I think Jurgen Klopp loves him for a start, and that's not to say he doesn't love every single member of our squad. I just think he's got a special affection for Harvey Elliott, and I think, like you alluded to earlier, um, Dave, I think the kid can be world-class, and given a full pre-season, which he's had, um, I just don't see any stopping him. He's not going to start every single game, don't get me wrong, but I think we're going to see a hell of a lot of him this season. If last year was a little glimpse of what he can offer, I think we're going to see it all this season coming. So, yeah, that's mine. Well, 
I think it's a hot take, first of all. And I also think that, conversely, he might have actually reached that kind of number last season if he'd avoided that injury, given the form he was in earlier in the season. But yeah, we'll see. I think he's only 19, so that, that would be really something if he managed to do that. But I quite like that one. Um, Chloe, what did you come up with for this? To be honest, I was going to say something about Darwin Nunes, but I don't like jinxing things. We all know what I'm like with predictions. Never mind, he predicted how many goals he's going to get. Um, it, it wouldn't be a hot take, but I don't think Liverpool are going to be on. I don't. I don't think Liverpool will be fighting on all four fronts this season. It's right. it's not a good one because I've I've just had to change it last minute because it's I want to say enough. something about. I wanted yeah. to say something about Darwin Nunes, but I think if if he ends up being shit, it's me who's <laughs> being blamed here. It's not actually Darwin Nunes. So what it was actually going to be was Darwin Nunes to score 50 goals, all competitions. But something like that, yeah. Yeah, moderate a bit last second. Um, but yeah, I guess it's it's one of them where we we did it last season, but um, maybe this year is unfortunately not going to be sustainable. But I think we, we none of us would mind if it was the, the one front we succeeded on was the Premier League. And uh, Chris, finally, over to you. You might not see this as a hot take, um, but if you do see it as a hot take, it might seem a negative hot take, but you can kind of flip it. So that's a very long-winded way to introduce this. But um, basically, mine was that Robertson and Alexander-Arnold will get more assists than Luis Diaz this season. Um, I think that is because if I have one slight... So not even issue, just if there's one little thing about Diaz, it's potentially the bit of the numbers game with him. That's the only thing, because he's an incredible footballer, so talented. And you could even flip it and say, look, if he takes up the focus of the defenders, and then Robertson's on the overlap, you know, we end up with Alexander-Arnold's feet, that's how, that's how they can get more assists than him. I just think that, certainly in the Premier League, I think they'll get more assists than him this season. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Diaz, we've seen so far performance levels very high, end product levels not that high, but it's one of them where it's like, yeah, yeah. you can measure his impact in other ways. Disclaimer, think, he's brilliant. Yeah. But that's the one thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think to be fair, we could have done a whole podcast just talking about players like Nunez and Diaz and, and what kind of season might be in store for them, their first full seasons at Liverpool. But that is going to wrap us up for this one. Um, so this is part two, like we said at the start, of our season preview. Part one is where I spoke to fans of the five other clubs in the Big Six to get their perspective on the new season. So if you enjoyed this, go and check that out um, for their kind of view on it. Obviously, this was a lot of this was Liverpool-centric. Um, so yeah, like I say, we'll be coming back to these definitely at the end of the season. I'm going to be saying uh, which take was the coldest out of the, the four that we've just heard. But yeah, if you did like this episode, please give it the podcast a five-star review on Spotify. It would be much appreciated and pass it on to any of your friends too. Um, we'll be back hopefully after the Fulham game uh, to offer our reaction to that one. So yeah, we will see you then. <laughs>